Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, mantenganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. Well, over the last few weeks, you've heard some interesting stories coming out of the Walt Disney World Resort. A lot of it as a result of some of the changes and enhancements that are coming, but I found some interesting stories that I wanted to kind of present to you and talk about them in context of things that are going on that I thought were interesting. They caught my attention and I wanted to share them with you. Now, the first was, for any changes that go on at the Walt Disney World Resort, there are a certain permitting and filing applications that have to be done in accordance with the law. So uh, Disney always files all of their changes as they go through, and they do their permitting work, and they do all the things above, above board. So you, if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, you can always check the public records and see what kinds of filings they've had. Now, there was one they made a couple of weeks ago that kind of caught my interest. This one has to do with the game room that's next to Space Mountain. There's been a game room there for as long as I can remember. But recently, probably oh, six months or so ago, the state of Florida changed some of its gambling laws. And essentially, they said that anything where there's a prize associated with it, or you get tickets, or the claw machines, all of those things are deemed to be gambling machines, and they can't be used in arcades. So all of these places, like the kids' places where you put in coins and you get uh, tickets back, and you can turn the tickets in for prizes... Those are all now in the gray area of the law and probably illegal. And all of the things where you have claw machines or something that dispenses prizes, those are also illegal because they're essentially gambling machines under new state law. So Disney has had an interest for a while, a little bit now, in trying to change out some of their game rooms. No problem with having you know, video arcades and having some things like that, but they don't really grab the attention of the guest in the same way. So they're making some changes to a lot of the uh, game rooms and the facilities that they have, and they've already moved a lot of the stuff off stage. But the one that caught my interest over by Space Mountain was really kind of unusual. When they filed the permit with the state of Florida, they called it Andy's Room. They're going to redo the entire thing in some way. They didn't give any details, and they don't have to, but they did file something that's called Andy's Room. Now, the question is, is this something related to Toy Story and Andy's Room, where he had Buzz and Woody? Or is this something else, maybe a little in-joke with the Disney company? We don't know, but we do know that there is some construction happening over there, and I'll be curious to see what they actually do with it, because there's some in intrigue to that. You know, you hear Andy's room, and you go, hmm, Andy's room, what are they doing? You have to wonder if maybe they're creating something different at the exit to Space Mountain that would be more Toy, toy Story-oriented, or if they're doing some preparation stuff, maybe uh, in preparation for what they're doing for Toy Story Land. Maybe they're doing some of their pre-work there. Who knows? It's hard to say what they do exactly. I know when they started working on the Magic Bands, they used one of the old studios, the Hollywood Studios, to do all of their work. So you never know. It could just be a preparation area where they're going to start staging up some of the changes that they're, that they're going to make for uh, Toy Story Land. And we may never know, honestly, because they may not make any of the information public and they may just close off the area and just be reconfiguring it for cast member use instead of for guest use. Hard to say exactly, but kind of caught my interest because it's like Andy's room. What the heck is that? 
There was a kind of an unusual story that came out about a security guard at Disney. She's a Haitian woman who believes she was passed over for promotion in the uh, security services at Disney. And uh, she decided to take them to trial. The case stems back from 2010 when she applied to be an emergency coordinator, a job for which she was qualified, and she was passed over for that promotion. Now, the kind of the, the odd twist to this was that while they did find Disney guilty for having not promoted her because of her national origin, they also found that it was unlikely she would have actually gotten the job had she been considered for it in spite of her origin. So it's kind of a, a mixed bag here. They were guilty of something, and now the question is, what will the, what will the penalty be to Disney? Will she just get a promotion and back pay? Will she stay on the job? Whatever. There were no damages awarded because of the fact she uh, wouldn't have gotten the job anyway in the, in the jury's eyes. But the fact that Disney was found guilty is kind of interesting because usually Disney likes to settle these things. I just find this really interesting because Disney is pretty good about its hiring practices and its promotion policies, and they're pretty fair about things, as I recall, or at least they always were. So kind of interesting that this one came to trial. There were several other cases that were brought for various reasons, and all of them were either dismissed or settled, except for one other one that's ongoing. But this one came back with a guilty verdict, which is kind of unusual because Disney doesn't usually let it get that far. They'll usually try to settle at some point and make things right rather than uh, getting it dragged through and uh, coming to conclusion. So who knows where it'll actually go from here. For now, she is continuing to work as a security guard at Disney. Now, turning over to Disney's Hollywood Studios, there's some interesting stuff going on there. So first off, you have what's going to happen with Toy Story Land and what they're going to do to develop that area. What they've said is they're going to close Walt Disney One Man's Dream, and that's the exhibit that's just outside of Pixar Place, and they'll use some of that area for the expansion of Toy Story Land. Now, I love Walt Disney One Man's Dream. I used to love the Walt Disney story that was over in the Magic Kingdom back in the 70s and early 80s, and I was really sad to see it close, but when they opened One Man's Dream, I thought they did a really nice job of kind of recreating sort of the atmosphere of the original show and putting together some exhibits and thoughts about the man and his life and some of the things that he did to create the lands and the magical places that we know about. At some point, they had his studio in there, his studio desk that he used uh, over in California. They had several things that they brought over and rotated through from the archives that you would see there from time to time. And it was really kind of neat. All of that stuff was really interesting, nice historical uh, features and things that they put in there. So I'm curious to see what they decide to do. I can't imagine they would eliminate Walt Disney from Walt Disney World, I think they'll find another home for it. It's just a question of where that home's going to be. Who knows? Maybe it winds up at Interventions over at Epcot. It's just my guess at this point, but who knows? That is certainly a possibility. Now, as far as Toy Story Midway Mania getting a third track, the third track may be open as early as late this year. Everything seems to be going smoothly. It's almost done. They've completed most of the work they need to do. Now the question is just getting it open and running. At some point as they build Toy Story Land, what they're going to do is rearrange the entrance to be on the other side so that it's easier to get people into three queues to head to three different tracks. So that way you uh, only get into one queue, but that you'll be, sent, you'll be sent to one of the three tracks that's open. As it happens right now, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge to take some group of people out to go over to the third queue, but it'll work out. I'm sure they'll find a way to maybe do it. Perhaps one solution is to take the new one and make it Fast Pass Plus only for now, just to make life easier. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of work it all out, but uh, it looks like it's nearing completion, so that's kind of interesting. Now, with the expansion of Toy Story Land also comes the rumor that Lights, Camera, Motor Cars will close at uh, Hollywood Studios as well, because they want to expand out that way. To this point, I haven't heard any details about dates or anything else that's going to happen there, but it seems likely, given the size of Toy Story Land and where they want to orient it, that they'd want to go out that way 
and in over to the area where they have the playground that's themed after Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So it all kind of fits in that it would be a wider area there that would cover a little bit more ground. Now, kind of related to that is that the Osborne Family Spectacle of Lights is going to be closing after this year. This will be the last year that you'll be able to see it over at Disney World. It's leaving the Hollywood Studios with no plans to be recreated anywhere else. Disney uh, contacted the Jennings family, who owned it, and uh, talked to them about it and uh, made the decision that they're going to discontinue it. The Jennings family was very nice about it, and they said, yeah, we're very appreciative of Disney and what they've done for us for the last 20 years. And so it looks like it's going to come to an end. Now, if you'd like to know more about the Osborne family lights and how they came to be there and what the story is behind them, you can check out a previous podcast of mine. I'll put a link to it in my show notes page so you can find it. So it's not clear what Disney is going to do with New York Street in that case, because that was the site of the Osborne lights. Now, you have to believe that somehow with Star Wars expansion and with the expansion of Toy Story, that there's a good possibility that New York Street will be lost to history. So we'll keep an eye on that and try to figure out what's going on, but given the sizing and what they want to do with the park, it seems very likely they would take that entire back area of the park and make changes to it. And that leads us over to, would that be a Star Wars-themed area, or would that be a Toy Story area? I'm not sure. Given the size and the dimensions and everything, it seems more likely that that would be a Star Wars area, and if you were going to discontinue the Osborne Spectacle of Lights this year, that would make sense. Because the story goes that the Star Wars land will begin construction in early 2016. They're about ready to, uh, to do groundbreaking on it. They want to just wait until after the holiday season so that the crowds will be a little lower and they can start groundbreaking. So it seems clear that they're going to push outward from there. There's no word yet on the Indiana Jones epic sp- stunt spectacular and whether that will be impacted by the Star Wars theme land. But I think maybe it won't for now. I think they're going to push out the other direction and kind of go backward into where New York Street is and then go back toward the back of the park and just reconfigure the back of the park a little bit rather than necessarily going up toward uh, the Indiana Jones area. I could be wrong, but it certainly seems like that's a better option for them at this point because they can kind of close it off and do some things to make it a little bit more interesting. So we'll see where they go. I'm kind of interested to see where this all nets out because they're planning on doing some work on the Star Wars theme land starting next year and want to have something open by 2017, essentially by the time that the next movie would be ready to come out. It's kind of, kind of intriguing to me how that all works out. Now, while we're waiting for that, and we're looking ahead to the movie to come out, we're thinking about the uh, docking bay that they've started. Now, over at the animation area, on the other side of the park, and that would be back by where you have the, uh, the arch that goes into uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios, and you have the Little Mermaid on your left and the Playhouse Disney on your right, in the back was the animation area. What they're doing is they've closed that entire area off at this point, and they're reconfiguring it to make it the docking bay. Perhaps it's Docking Bay 94, I'm not sure. They're re-theming it, recoloring it, making it look more like what you would expect a Star Wars-themed area to look like with the kind of the muted colors and some of the things like that. So they're, they're working on that now, and the plan was originally to have it open sometime in maybe late October. It's been pushed back to early December now to coincide with the movie's release. So they'll have sort of a theming area where they can talk about the movie, talk about some of the making of the movie, perhaps have some props in there, do some things like that. And then it won't seem like so much of a stretch when they close off a lot of the area where the Star Wars area is as they're building up the Star Wars theme land. So over the next few months after December, they would probably start building in some of the prototypes, put some models in there, talk about some of the things that they're planning on constructing to build the hype. 
you don't want to lose the momentum over the movie coming out and some of the things that they're going to do so that you want to put the information out there and start getting people excited about it so they want to make another trip to Disney World. Going along with that is another rumor that in the Hollywood studios, Star Wars Weekend may have seen its last days. Now, Star Wars Weekend has been going on for about 20 years between the MGM Studios and the Hollywood Studios. And basically, they have characters from Star Wars, both the Imperial Forces and the Rebel Forces, there in the park, wandering around doing some fun stuff. I talked about it in an episode earlier this year where I was talking about uh, Star Wars Weekend, and I had uh, somebody from the 501st on to talk about uh, some of the fun that comes with being there. And uh, they, have it, they have it go on for about five, four to five weekends in May and June, where they have the, week, the weekend takeover of uh, Disney's Hollywood Studios. Well, it seems that that's going to be coming to a close, and part of the reason is, as construction happens in 2016, it's going to be harder to have that many people in the park and doing something that's truly Star Wars-themed. So instead, what, what they're telling us at this point is that there's going to be more immersive Star Wars experiences coming. So in the short term, you'll have the docking bay where you'll have some Star Wars-themed things and perhaps even some characters in costume that will do meet-and-greets. And then later, you'll have more Star Wars immersive experiences that are bigger and better than Star Wars Weekend rather than just being for four weekends in a year. It would be for, like, the entire year. So we'll see. I mean, I'm kind of curious. I'm glad I went this year that I was able to catch the last one and tell you about it. You know, and it kind of lost its luster perhaps a little bit. I'm not saying it was bad by any stretch, but, you know, the first time I went back in the mid-1990s was a lot more fun. Partially because it was newer, partially because there were fewer people there, and partially because, I don't know, there was a certain excitement that went along with it. You know, now it's been a long time, so maybe it is time for a change and to do something else. Disney also announced that they're going to stop having characters dressing as Star Wars characters. So you won't see Mickey in his Jedi robes anymore or Minnie as Princess Leia, those types of things. You're going to see different types of things come out, and they're going to phase that out as they bring in other Star Wars characters and kind of keep them separate to a large degree. Is that a good or a bad thing? I really can't say. I kind of like the mixing and mingling a little bit. I like both of the franchises a lot. I like Mickey Mouse. I like Star Wars. So it kind of works for me. But I know that I can understand from Disney's perspective why they'd want to kind of keep them separate and do some different things. Now, another story that caught my attention is this story about how Disney dining works and the dining plan works and how you can do these advanced reservations for different uh, dining experiences. And how a very clever entrepreneur and some of his friends came up with a way to basically get a lot of those reservations for themselves. I'm not sure exactly what technology they're using to do it, but clearly there's some technology involved. Then they created an app that they sell that helps you to snag a dining reservation. Now, whether they actually own all these reservations themselves or whether they're just out there kind of trolling through the site and looking for reservations at various times, I'm not sure. But they can help you to get a dining reservation. The catch is they charge a small fee for that. Now, of course, there's questions from Disney about this and many fans because the reality is that they may actually not be holding on to any reservations. They may just be securing them for people when they go through the site and they just continue to look for reservations. But everybody wants to know, are they actually violating any laws or are they going around the rules or are they doing anything where they're getting into the system where other people can't to get information? Now, I don't think any of that is known right now, but it's kind of funny how you can wind up with a reservation if you pay a little bit of money to this outside company. Kind of a strange thing, and I really don't know what to take away from it. I mean, I give the people credit for coming up with a, something like this that you know no one else came up with. Now, of course, I'm not kicking myself for not coming up with it. That's not the kind of person that I am. But I'm like, wow, this is really kind of interesting. I wonder if I could have come up with a little niche thing that would have made it easier without charging a fee, you know, just to help fill the, fill the need a little bit. 
Now, of course, there are other apps that do similar types of things and other services where they just basically look to see if there are any cancellations, then they alert you so you can go out and book your reservation. That's slightly different, and uh, I think that those are all above board, and you know, while they do charge a fee, I think that it's, you know, that's okay in a general sense. It's these ones that are doing something a little bit more where they're going further and actually holding on to some of the reservations that I think is really problematic. So no word yet on what Disney's going to do, but I imagine that in the near future they'll be changing their dining plan again uh, so that reservations can only be made certain ways or through their apps or whatever to try and avoid this sort of situation. And speaking of dining, one thing I've been noticing over the last few weeks is I've been seeing a lot more dining extras coming up, a lot more promotional things where they have more activities, they're adding more brunches and character breakfasts and special add-ons and dessert things and different things where there's an additional fee to have a meal. And I get where Disney's coming from, but it seems like you know they're starting to saturate the market a little bit in terms of the things that they're offering. There's some things that I like about Disney dining and some things that kind of just annoy me about it. And you know, overall, I think the food is okay. I think some of the experiences are great, but continuing to pile on services and fees and whatever just feels like it's kind of nickel and diming to try and get these special activities. And I get why they do it, but sometimes I feel like it just goes a little too far. So as I hear about more of these specials being added and more things being done, I kind of just roll my eyes and go, wow, I kind of miss the old days of just being able to go in and enjoy something. And when you do get a character breakfast, it's something special, but you can't expect something every single time you go. And also speaking of dining, one more thing about Epcot's Food and Wine Festival that's coming up. They offered pass holders a chance to get a commemorative Epcot Food and Wine 20th glass, uh, wine glass. And I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. I might be interested in picking one of those up. And then I read the fine print. You have to actually go to the Food and Wine Festival three times. You go once, and you, you go in, and you have a certain book. You pick up a book. You go the next time, and you have the book stamped. Then you go the third time, and they'll give you the glass. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting how they've twisted that to get people to come more than once. I'm not sure if I like that as much. Now, granted, I don't plan on going for more than one day, so I'm looking at it and going, it's not something I'm going to get. I don't really need the wine glass anyway. It was just a nice sort of idea, a little keepsake to have from the 20th anniversary festival that I'm not going to be getting. And it just kind of struck me. I was like, wow, that's kind of odd that they're doing it that way. It seems like it'd be easier just to give them out if people come in. But that's one way to promote people coming in more than once and taking advantage of your annual pass and coming in a little bit more. So I get it. And then finally today, there was this odd story that really just kind of blew me away. The story goes basically that a man and his family were waiting for their room to be ready at the Pop Century Resort. And the man made some offhanded comment about how it would take less time to set up a meth lab than it would to actually have the room ready. So flash forward a few hours, he's in his room when the police raid his room and arrest him for setting up a meth lab, which of course he didn't do. And Disney gives him a trespass warning and tells him he's not allowed at Disney property again. Now, I don't know the full details of the story. I only know really his side of it and what he said to this point, as most of us do. And he says he didn't do anything wrong. I don't know what he actually said to the person working at the desk. I don't know what he actually intended. You know, he says he made a joke, but what did he actually say? And how did he say it? And, you know, how did it come across? It's sometimes you have to be careful what you say in life. They're a private company. They can take things however they want to take them. But there's an odd sort of thing that happens there when you say something like that that's kind of off color and how you say it is important. So context may have been something that was related to that. I don't know. So I feel bad for the guy, um, assuming that it's all true and, and that it isn't an extension of the truth in some way. You know, he got banned from Disney. He got the uh, lifetime ban. 
Now, he did show a copy of the, uh, of the trespass warning, and it says in it that you're not allowed to come to downtown Disney or Pleasure Island. Hey, what about Disney Springs? Because it didn't actually explicitly list Disney Springs, it only listed the two old areas that don't technically exist anymore. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And related to that, there's another guy that you may have heard about. Now, he lived in Orlando, and he did a lot of urban exploring in and around Orlando. And he'd do these uh, daily video blogs, and uh, everybody calls him the Woo. And this guy, he, you know, he went around and he did some things, and it was really kind of a fun video to watch. Now, twice he did things at Disney that Disney didn't like. The first time he went into River Country, uh, which is closed and off-limits to guests, and he actually went in there and explored around a little bit. And the second time that I saw, he actually uh, started to wander backstage somewhere with his video camera running and was uh, stopped and told to turn around. So eventually he was caught, and he was given a trespass warning too and told he could never return to Disney Parks and was given the lifetime ban. Well, flash forward a few years, and it turns out that uh, he was able to get that ban overturned. The lifetime ban actually only lasted a few years. He had an interesting little video blog. He talked about this and how it all came to be. And he also mentioned that, you know, the trespass warning was only at Walt Disney World. He could go to Disneyland, and he did. He became an annual pass holder to Disneyland when he moved out to California. So kind of a funny little twist. So he did get it overturned, and he was able to uh, to go and visit Walt Disney World and go into the parks and do some things. So I think he learned a, a valuable lesson, and it's a lesson we could all learn. When you're at this private property and you're doing the things that you're doing at the parks, remember that you're on their property and you are a guest, and you need to abide by the rules and do the things that they're asking you to do or not do the things that they're asking you not to do. And continue to do the right thing while you're there and act like a, you know, a reasonable person and do some reasonable things and don't just act crazy silly. You know, when you say something that's really off color and, you know, you realize that it's a mistake, admit your mistake and move on. You may be upset that your food is late or that your room isn't ready or that you weren't able to get on your favorite attraction, but you can't let that affect you because you can get arrested and you can have a trespass warning uh, placed against you. Now, I have heard rumors about others. These are the two that I'm actually aware of where I've actually seen the trespass warning. I've, you know, I've heard different things about it, so it can happen. And it shouldn't happen to you, and there's no reason to think it ever would happen to you as long as you just follow the simple rules. Just follow the rules and do what they ask you to do and do it right. Hey, you know, we're all out there and we're having fun and we're enjoying ourselves, but it's one of those things to just keep in mind. Well, there you go. That's my podcast for this week, and I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed this little bit of Disney news and some different things and kind of my perspective and take on things. And I hope to get to Disney World at some point in the near future to tell you about some of the expansion that's happening with Star Wars Land and Toy Story Land. Eventually, they'll start construction, and I'll get you some updates as much as I can. But in the meantime, just stay tuned and just enjoy what there is. Now, before I let you go, one last little thing. It's about my Epcot Food and Wine app that's available in the iTunes store. Just head over to DisneyPodcast.net slash food and wine. I'll put a link to it in my show notes page, of course. So you can actually be social and find out what other people like and pick some things that you'd like to have. If you don't have an iPhone, iPad, or another uh, Apple device, you can use another version of it that's a web version. It's not quite as sophisticated, but you can still take part and enjoy it. So I hope you'll, uh, you'll take part in it. Well, that's it for this week. I will talk to you soon. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning.
Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 